Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. This is so exciting. We have Adam Frisch back in the studio with us today. This is his first really in-depth interview that he's given after perpetrating maybe the biggest upset. Yeah, the biggest upset in the 2022 midterm elections where right now, as we speak, they're still doing an automatic recount um, on your race against Lauren Boebert. So thanks for coming back and talking to us. It's great to be back in Pueblo. I've been excited to talk to you about this Um, ever since that happened. We were watching it so closely. Um, Literally, the text and the refreshing and all of that that happened. So I know how we were feeling on this side of it. Can you give us just a little bit of insight those last that last week and then then the day of and then the week after yeah, what no. was happening thanks it's great to be back in pueblo great to be back behind the action 22 mic no it's been a wild couple of weeks that's for sure um you know leading up to election day i really felt just in my heart and bones and talking to people that we were pretty much statistically tied you know and this is a race that a lot of people had written off before i even got involved uh, this 538 and Cook Political Report, a couple of very well-known uh, East Coast firms that follow a lot of this stuff, had this under no chance, 2% chance of winning. And uh, everything I set out a year ago that there was a chance to focus on, you know, more people want uh, people playing between the 240-yard lines, as Don Coram says. Yep. And I talk about people want the circus to stop on both sides. So... Got on this race. You know, we started down seven points. We were down two points. Uh, Keating was our, Chris Keating on a Telluride was our pollster, and he was spot on during this whole thing. And I just felt like on election day that, I would just say this, I was not surprised when we were up by a couple points on election night. It was obviously an invigorating thing. It shocked the country without a doubt. I mean, we're, we're, it's, Still, the only race out of the 435 races that hasn't been called, we're down by 500 and some votes. I'm, I just don't think there's any chance for us to catch up to yeah. those. I'm getting updates. You know, the, the elections in Colorado are very, very well run. And, you know, I heard from Montezuma County that I think uh, Bobert lost one vote and I was equal and another vote. We each lost one vote. So, like, it just – unless there's unless somebody can find 500 more counties in the state of Colorado, <laughs> right. uh, I'm pretty sure she's going to go back to office. But, you know, so we had a huge moral victory uh, for sure, but it was invigorating to be up uh, on election night. I knew that we were probably going to be losing – some of that lead or, or more of that lead just because Republicans, for some reason, I don't know why, decide to vote at the end. I mean, we were probably one snowstorm away from winning, uh, yeah. you, could, you could have say. And, uh, you know, I want as many people voting as possible, I would say. But, um, you know, people got very, very excited. We were up in, in Aspen, up in the mountains. And I know it got very, very quiet at, at Bobart's office. I think they thought that they were going to win by 10 points, like truly. Mm-hmm. But I knew that we had a really good chance, and I knew we ran a really good campaign, and I knew knew we connected with a lot of people. Um, it was just a matter of could we hold on to those votes. And, uh, you know, that was on Tuesday night. 
Sunday morning, I got on a plane to D.C. with my wife Katie, my son Felix, both whom were very involved in the campaign. And we went out to the first week of this new member orientation where there were probably 80 or 90 new um, members of the House, of which about 15 of us were there under not completely clear victory or not. And so there were some... How many were there? There was probably 15 or 20 people Mm -hmm. that, you know, this is five days after the election. Yeah. And it happens every term. There's a certain amount of Republicans there. There's a certain amount of Democrats there that um, you show up there not knowing, you know, you have a, you, you know that you're in the mix and you have a good chance of winning or you have a good chance of not. So as I joked with people, I try to sit on the edge of the group photos in case I had to be cut out. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to be cut out of those photos. Um, but you really felt the weight of the job. And so for those who remember, like Tuesday was the election, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all these ballots were coming in, and we were slowly losing by a little bit. And then uh, Colorado pretty much stopped for about five days to decide to kind of just refresh, give the county clerks a break, and come back in. And at the start of that five-day break, we were down about 1,100 votes. And then they started counting some more, and then we went from 1,100 down to 500 down, or 550 down. And that's kind of where we've been sitting ever since. And so at the end um, of the uh, new member orientation, which was very cool, I mean, uh, you started off the morning with all, everybody, Republicans and Democrats in one room in an auditorium, kind of being told how to build up an office, how to staff people, how to, you know, write a bill, a little bit of some other stuff. And you get a wide variety of people that have experiences, either people that have been state legislatures for 20 years and some people that just kind of, you know, there's this Marie woman, Democrat who ran in rural Washington. She and her husband were auto mechanics. She had, they had a young baby. They had to bring the baby into the mechanic shop because they didn't couldn't afford. And so you have a wide variety of experience of people that are there. But that Friday afternoon when they were done counting all the votes, uh, Friday morning, that is when I, I made a concession speech. Uh, and it upset a lot of people. Um uh, on on the left because they were they just wanted to fight 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 and I appreciate where they were coming from but we were getting a lot of pressure to raise a bunch of money uh, and I knew that if we were going to like really battle it on there'd be a lot of money raised and it wouldn't be for nothing because as everyone who follows Colorado election rules know that if the votes changed by more than ten or fifteen votes it wasn't going to do anything and I would say this it's a little tricky to say this. A concession was very sincere. It's not a legally binding uh, comment that you make. It's just a tradition that I think is really important in the United States political system. When you know you're you're losing or uh, don't really have any chance of coming back, you you know throw up the white flag, and that's kind of what we did. Uh, I think it's important for the recount to happen. Uh, it's not up. Wasn't up to our campaign. It wasn't up to Bobert's campaign to stop it. It wasn't up to the Secretary of State's office to stop it either. When I the, the Colorado voters decided that when it gets to be 0.5% or closer of the winning person's vote, you do an automatic recount, and that gets covered by the people and the taxpayers. And there seems to be a lot of drama flying around um, on, on all sides, but I've tried to be pretty zen through the whole thing. And if stressing would change votes, I would be a very, very good stressor. But stressing doesn't change votes, so we're just letting this thing, thing, whole thing play out. I believe in the 12th or the 13th, the Secretary of State will certify those votes. And I'd be shocked if Lauren Boebert is not certified the winner. Yeah, I think um, looking back on it as well, and I, I've heard from multiple people that um, that don't like Representative Boebert, you know, this was kind of a, a check on her. 
Um, she went into this race again, expecting people said, you know, she's going to win by 20 points. It's going to be a landslide. And it wasn't. Um, but this kind of shows that she's vulnerable now. Um, and with that, I think that I would hope that somebody that was in her position would take a long, hard look at the district and actually, um, less running around, not in Colorado doing stuff and maybe a little more Colorado focused yeah. after this. No, I mean, I think if we take a step back and look at the national level, I, I made a couple of bets when I looked at this race last October, November, December, which was I thought Trumpism, extremism was starting to wane. And I think no matter how you look at it, uh, what happened last election result is extremism took a big hit on the head. I think, you know, I w- I've said the Democrats who run extremes have been losing. The Republican extremists have been winning. I do believe the incentive has changed a little bit on the Republican side, that to run as an extremist is not the best way to win. There's no doubt um, some Republicans lost some Senate seats because they didn't run qualified good candidates. And you hear this on the right and you hear this on the left as well. And so, you know, and for someone who is a centrist, you want to see people, again, playing in those 240-yard lines, which is really, really important. And so I'm hoping that that is going to continue regardless of the outcomes on the national side. As it goes to Western and Southern Colorado, uh, you know, it's no secret of our playbook. Uh, the number one thing that res- – a couple of things that resonated a lot. One is, and I said – for myself, if there was a get stuff done party, I'd be in that party. Mm-hmm. And I've said that for 20 years. That resonated with a lot of people, including those that were wearing the mega hats and that were pretty pro-Trumpy. Um, people want the circus to stop. I think ranchers yeah. and farmers are, are pragmatic, if not anything. And, you know, she has some strengths. Being pragmatic is not one of them. And she obviously didn't take the – I don't think she's taken the job very seriously. We pointed that out all the time. And I don't think she took her responsibilities of looking after her constituents very seriously. And um, a lot of other people agreed. I mean, the district is only 25% D, and we got 498 or 49.9% of the vote. So basically half of our votes came from non-Ds, and I knew that we could we could have that chance to do that. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if one of the best scenarios that comes out of this is the current representative starts to take the job more seriously and focusing on her constituents more and less on herself – I'll take some credit for that, and I think yeah. that's a good thing. And I, I just think that representatives need to focus on this job. And she was not focused on this job. She was focused on herself. Whether she's going to reset or not or how much she's going to reset, well, that will have to be seen. This also shows the importance of voting for um, people that say, oh, my vote doesn't count. Um, you, you always go to the local election where you have a county commissioner that wins by one, you know, or two or yeah. three or whatever. This was a congressional election that close. I, I mean, yeah. that's that's closer than winning or losing by one vote in Pueblo County. You know, that's like a fraction of a percentage yeah. point. We had 327,000 votes cast and, you know, we lost. We're going to probably very well likely lose by 500 or 550 votes. And, um, you know, when you look at the voter rolls who didn't show up, it's a little, it's disappointing. I don't get mad at a bunch, a bunch of people. It's like, it's not so much darn you for not voting. It's, you know, what could we have done to make sure that you voted? Yeah. And, um, you know, we did well in Pueblo. We won 53% of the vote, I think, the last time. Um, it was a lot closer than that. But when I look at Pueblo and some other places, there were some people that should have voted that didn't vote, and that that's disheartening. But, you know, that's on the candidate to try to get out there and inspire those people to come out to vote. Do you think that was because of uh, political fatigue? Because, you know, 
30 text messages a day, 500 mailers a week. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's a couple reasons. One, people are sick and tired of politics. A, B, non-presidential years always have a little bit of uh, have fewer people showing up. Um, you know, being a very proud pro-business, pro-domestic energy Democrat, uh, there are definitely probably some liberals who did stay home. Just They just wanted to, you know, wait for a true Democrat to run. And, you know, you can't please everybody, but I stick to my guns about who I am, as I've told people before. There's a lot of hard things about running, especially in a district so big. But the easiest thing for me to run on was what I believed as a father and a husband and as a small business owner is exactly what I shared in the Democratic primary and exactly what I shared in the Republican in, in the general election in front of Republican organizations. And so I think people saw authenticity of where I was coming from, even coming from the mountains, even being from Aspen, Colorado. Um, you know, we worked very, very hard. One of the surprising, depressing things I ran into when I was at this new member orientation was, you know, I was home for five or six days over the last five or six months because I was just on the road. Again, the district is half the size of Colorado, larger than the state of Mississippi, 27 counties. The vast majority of people I met never spent a single night away from their house. Yes, running for Congress, especially the Democrats, because they are traditionally representing more dense urban areas. And some of them are like, maybe I shouldn't complain about having to drive two hours versus an hour and a half now to get out to my most far front flungs. And so I think I didn't realize like the 24,000 miles we did, a lot of them with my son Felix, was a pretty unique thing. Um, yeah. And driving all over that state, just all over half the state, all the time, continuously, basically since February, um, was a fairly unique thing to happen. A lot of the people I met, Republic, you know, in, in the evenings we would go out bipartisan and drink and hang out. And, and But the vast majority of people I met also, their elections were over in, in the primary. Like they've known since June that they were going to be winners so they could start to build their staff. They could start to work on their budget. They could start to kind of um, lobby uh, their, their leaders and the Republicans and the Democrats about what they wanted to work on. And I'm like, oh my goodness! I'm not, you know, I'm. They're they're picking offices. I'm like, well, if if we win, I'm going to be getting Bobert's office because there won't be any offices to switch. Uh, we'll be the last people chosen. But um, I just realized, I guess I didn't realize how um, unique our race was as far as just logistically of running around. And then I think about serving. And Scott, you've been there with Scott. It's like you have 120 county commissioners. You have 27 sheriffs. Most people have like one sheriff to talk with and five or seven county commissioners or three. And I, I can only imagine trying to keep, you know, 120 county commissioners pretty happy over half the state of Colorado. Yeah, we'd always get flagged or somebody would bring it up that our, our mileage reimbursement, because that's a easy way to, you know, maybe fudge some numbers to get some extra money. Um, you know, it's like your mileage is this much. And we're like, yeah, we're in the Colorado, Colorado third. And you'd hear them on the computer, you know, the financial people. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was. Uh... Anyway, so um, came home on that, you know, I, I left and then I landed back in uh, Colorado on Saturday afternoon. And on Sunday, I took off with my family. Uh, we went on a, a week long, uh, which normally we don't do, but we went on a week long Thanksgiving break. And it was, I spent a lot of time with Felix. You guys had a chance to meet him, but, uh, you know, I barely saw my wife, Katie, and, and her daughter, Quintessa, uh, over those past five or six months. So we chill, just chilled. And we got a lot of accolades um, for kind of how we handled the concession and, and at the end of it, how it was so close. And, you know, uh, it's a little bit of a bummer that the bar is l pretty low in some aspects of politics. I mean, I think I've heard 
Adam Kinzinger say with Liz Cheney when they get a lot of accolades for being brave and like we're not that brave. There's just a lot of cowards mm-hmm. around us. Um, and I don't want to throw the entire U.S. Congress under the bus, but <laughs> I, it's important to stand up and say what you believe in. And because I do think the voters more and more are realizing what people are saying and whether they if whether that person truly believes it or not. We, I, I was thinking about, as you were describing this, um, the first time I sort of met you, you called me up. I was getting ready to be um, – I was going to get ready to moderate uh, the primary. There was a primary yeah. debate. And then you said, well, I'll be over. And we talked a little bit then and then after that after that debate. And and you said um, – we were all in the – the whole Action 2 team was in the room when I had you on the phone – and you said, well, you know, like, what do we need? And I was like, first thing we tell everybody is you got to show up. Yeah. And we hung up and we talked to you for a second. We all kind of looked at each other. We're like, who is this guy? <laughs> and because the last thing you said, well, I'll be in Pueblo. I'll be in Pueblo. And I was, we were like, okay. We're like, sure. Well, we get, we, we get, you'll be in Pueblo once or twice. You were in Pueblo. Yeah. How many times? I, I got about 18 pounds of Pueblo food to show that I was in Pueblo a lot. There you go. Uh, from the barbecue tour to the brewery tour to the <laughs> sloppers. Uh, I, I told everyone I might have to go. If I do this again, and we'll, not, we'll see about that, I'm going on a kale salad tour. and the, the campaign team did not like that idea of going on a kale salad <laughs> tour and CD3. Um, no, I mean, the food is great here. And I was here, I would say, three times a month since February. Mm-hmm. Sometimes every week, sometimes at most 10 or 12 days away. Uh, you know, it's an important community. Plus, it's also a fun community. Um, and, you know, a couple other gems. You know, spending time in Walsenburg was very fun. And Trinidad, I really like that town a lot. I've been to 50 or 60 or 70 different communities. I think Trinidad's a, a pretty cool place as well. We like, but, we like it too. Yeah, and so not only is this kind of the hub of the voters for a couple of different reasons, it's a nice place to be. Um, and you know, it was, you know, it's a thousand miles to do a loop from the mountains, um, up I-70 back around from here through Alamosa. But I just, I knew in the primary I had to get in front of people because I was very well aware that there was skepticism galore of a mountain town person, especially coming from Aspen, Colorado, especially being a moderate pro-business, pro-domestic energy person in the democratic primary and I, we, I, I will say I own it. I, we earned the trust of a lot of people that were very skeptical that I could connect with a lot of people. Well, it, it was interesting, too. Uh, um, I, I think it was at the debate, the uh, governor's debate, where you spoke ahead of that. Um, you know, you walked up and talked to the Republicans. Yeah. And um, when you walked away, they had nothing bad to say. It was like, you know, they so, yeah. oh, you know, I'm a Republican. I'm probably not going to vote for him. But there was no malice in what they said, where, as you saw with other people running, there was malice on both sides, you know, you know, angry at the candidate and don't talk to him. But the reaction from the the Republicans after speaking with them, it was like, I, you know, I I do, I do like him. I respect him. It wasn't, you know, he's an evil, what was it, ass. Aspen rich man yeah. coming to get us or something rich no, liberal. I, I, it's all fine, you know, and, uh, you know, it was that. And then the Club 20 debate, unfortunately, we only had one live debate and it was up at Club 20. And people were shocked that I, was, I think I was the first Democrat to show up yeah. there in a really long time. And I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't know he has an option to kind of blow off like yeah. one of the most important organizations. Um, you know, when Action 22 or Club 20 invites you, you show up or what are you doing? Yep. And I was just kind of surprised with due respect to those, you know, the other Democratic people that have not shown up there. It's not like you're, you know, it's not a lion's den. You just walk in and talking to people. And 
people want leadership regardless of whatever the party's from, and they want someone to speak to them truthfully and honestly and with integrity and hear what they have to say. And, uh, you know, I, I have some faults, but I can show up and do all those kind of things, whether people agree with me. Um, you know, on that Friday when we offered the concession speech and told people don't send us money anymore, you know, save it for your kids and your family, whatever, I got I, – I would – we got a lot of emails. And that was not the plan, but I probably – 80% of the emails came from Republicans uh, out of the state said, I, you know, I'll never vote for you or I'm a Trumper or I'm not a Trumper. But I just – I appreciate you standing up and having the integrity to to do that and, and believe in the elections and not ask for the money. Um, that's never happens. And so I'm not trying to be a political martyr. I'm just like speaking from my heart through the whole thing. And obviously we resonated with a lot of people. So one of the things I think that surprised me the most – especially considering who your opponent was on this, is the pushback that you got from the Democrats. That was a little shocking to me. Yeah, you know, um, politics is an emotional conversation, without a doubt. And, you know, when I was on my city council for eight years, I kept on saying, and I didn't mean to be flippant, but, like, I hate to bring facts to this emotional conversation. And uh, I did that a little bit. You know, my comments in the Democratic primary wars, I know that you're not looking for a moderate, pragmatic, pro-business Democrat, especially one from the mountains, especially one from Aspen, Colorado. But I can build a coalition, and there's just not enough Democrats in the district to do so. And so I tried to just hammer away a bunch of facts in a very emotional conversation, and politics have gotten incredibly emotional over the past couple of years on all sides because of Trump and everything else. And obviously, um, Representative Bobart brings a lot of passion on either side of that conversation. And there were just some people that were saying, yeah, we're, I'm not going to vote for him. I want to wait for a real Democrat or a true Democrat or, you know, and, and there's definitely some people that stayed home um, if, a nor, if a more traditional longstanding Democrat would have come out there. But, you know, I try to be incredibly respectful during the whole process of the Democratic primary um, you know, Seoul was, uh, you know, hometown girl Seoul. She was the number one, the number one competition, if you will. The two of us accumulated about 90 some percent of the votes in the primary. Um, but I didn't attack her one iota. I, I thought her policies weren't resonating with, uh, with a lot of the CD3 voters, but she has a great personal story. And I was very proud that she worked with us, not for us on the campaign. And it was great to get to know her as well. Um, but you know, I, I just, I just know that it's, in theory, people love these big tents, but um, at some time the emotional thing kicks in and there are some people that I know they just couldn't vote for a, a middle-aged white guy or somebody from Aspen or someone who's pro-business, whatever it might be. But, you know, you see this, you know, there's there have been studying the Republican turnout in Georgia and the Republican turnout was very high, but they just all, all didn't vote for the Republican at all times. Yeah, And so you start to see when you're on this extremist side and – I'm not an extremist in the grand scheme of things, but I'm outside the standard deviation when it comes to the the Democratic Party because I am definitely far center, uh, and that's going to upset some people that are on the far left. And I, I appreciate that. I you know as I try to tell them, like you know, you might be here, I'm here. We'll be lucky if we get this stuff done. But to try to get into those um, factual conversations in a very emotional environment is not always easy. So do you, I, I know we hope this, but do you foresee um, both the Democrats and Republicans moving more towards the center? You kind of touched on a little bit at the beginning, but that's what we can hope for. But do you actually see that happening in the coming years? Well, I'll comment on the Republican side outside of Colorado. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll comment about that because I think they're off their kilter. But 
um, for the, for a long time, extremists on the left were losing and the extremists on the right were winning. And someone who has a little bit of an ec- economic background in me, I say, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. The incentive until, I believe, this election was be an extremist on the right and you will end up winning all the way into your position. Um, listen, I think Donald Trump had a horrible a horrible election. I mean, he backed, he put Walker in there. He got Oz yeah. to get in there. He got some of these other governors in the Kerry Lakes of the world, and the Republican extremism lost across the board. And you're you're seeing it in the newspapers now on a national level about how quickly that can try to ditch Donald Trump. They want to get rid of him. So I wish they were getting rid of Donald Trump because of his ethical lapses. They're really getting do- rid of Donald Trump because he's a political liability now. Mm-hmm. And so I actually don't think Trump's going to be, be the Republican uh, nominee. I could be proved wrong, and if he's not, he'll probably take the party down. Who knows what's going to happen? But it is a little scary to see that from what I'm reading in the newspapers, I don't have inside information, is that the post-mortem immediately on the Republican side is the reason they didn't do very well is because they didn't run extreme enough candidates. does not yeah. seem the lesson that I would be taking away. So that, I don't think um, Colorado, if you look at Colorado as an example, the we w- I wasn't terribly surprised um, by the outcomes eventually in fact <laughs> i'm i've been bragging lately because i called what happened with you um and but i was wrong on a lot of other stuff that being said the margins in colorado do not speak to that strategy i don't think at all yeah no i mean uh, you know i think pulse is a very strong um, moderate governor candidate and i don't think with all the respect to his republican opponent i don't think she ran the best campaign so mm-hmm. i wasn't surprised that she lost by that much i was surprised that joe day lost as much as, as as he did i think he's a pretty well respected guy ran a try to run a pretty moderate campaign of who he was you know michael obviously has a nice brand he does very very well but um you know the, the colorado is not you know 15 points d it just yeah. things got fleshed out pretty hard here and even if you dig down into the state capital it was even a bigger swing i think you know one of the concerns i have for the democratic party is listening to people in dc and watching television and reading newspapers is there's a lot of excitement on the democratic party because of how well they did above expectations which i would i think we all have to agree they did the problem is that if they take away a lot of those trumpism um candidates mm-hmm. i'm not sure they would have won pennsylvania and they would have won georgia and they would have won arizona and I'm a little worried that there's a lack of appreciation that it's not always how great your own policies are. It's sometimes you're given a gift of who you're running against. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be interesting too. Just in Colorado alone, and and even nationally, um, well, actually more so in Colorado, you're going to see this interesting fight between the far left and the more moderate Democrats. That's where we're going to see a lot of gridlock. Yeah. You know, they're going to be fighting themselves versus fighting the Republicans, and um, and the governor's going to be in a really challenging spot because he's you know he's come out against some f- further left policies, just yeah. being a, a businessman and and more what do they say, like a libertarian libertarian yeah. streak in him. And so he's going to be in a challenging spot as well. Luckily, he doesn't have for him, he doesn't have to run for governor again. But if he's running for another office, which is rumored out there, yeah. um, that's going to, that could come back too and, and kind of haunt him in the future. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see if, if we're looking at um, Colorado as a preview of things to come. Uh, for our listeners, you may not know that Colorado right now 
um, in the assembly, the House is veto-proof, and on the Senate side, they're one seat from being veto-proof, which means that even if the um, governor vetoes something, it goes back and they can will have enough votes to overturn the veto. So, because uh, I've said that a couple times and people are like, I don't know what that means. How can something be veto-proof? But that's yeah. where we're where we're at on it. The other thing I found really interesting um, from the perspective of, so we, we watch the elections very closely, but from a different lens. We want to know how a person is going to serve or represent. And you can really, that really fleshes out what, what a person or uh, how a person is going to be when you're in the heat of battle, right? Yeah. So um, I was surprised by, because this was an upset, big time, um, I was really surprised by people who sort of inserted themselves and took credit for your success were saying, oh, it was because of this, it was because of that, and they weren't really asking you about that. What? So first of all, what did you think about that? And then secondly, what did, would you credit this success? Well, so, yeah, I mean, uh, 538, which is this insider's website that's turned into political uh, sport these days, a lot more people know about it. Uh, I heard them say in their podcast that, this race uh, upset their model and more than any other race in the history of their model. And uh, there's also another graph out there of expected versus actual, and we were the best performing candidate of 435 people. So, you know, I think there's a couple buckets. One is, you know, I've said this before, I think the current representative is a little bit of the gift that keeps on giving about some things. She is just not representing the job and representing She represents enough people that they vote for her, but there's a lot of frustration against the democratic party when you get to rule in working class America, which is 98% of our district. And so running against someone that was very extreme and didn't realize how electorally weak she was compared to some of the other brand name people uh, allowed that to happen. But we worked incredibly hard. Um, you know, 24,000 miles, 27 counties, 18 pounds of sloppers. You know, we worked hard. A, we had a really great team as well. Uh, and when people started seeing us doing well, all the ground game, yes, the Democratic Party, but we had a lot of help from Republicans and a lot of help from unaffiliated voters. And they started just to up their game or the door knocking. Um, and so, yeah, I've heard there's some comments in the public people here and there's some comments elsewhere about people trying to take credit for um, how well we did. And some of them were the same people that were saying you should stay home and vote because this person's not a real Democrat. So mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of time to try to square circles and everything else like that. It, you know, people should speak what they believe in and we're going to continue to stay on the hard road and do the good work. I think people saw, even those that didn't agree with everything, that I was a safe pair of hands and I was actually going to be a thoughtful person when I showed up in Congress and actually would do the grinding work that needs to get done. And I think people saw authenticity. As I said, I mean, that's the number one thing I'd recommend to anyone who wants to run. You better show up and say what you believe because yep. people can see through it. Yep, and they can pick out the inconsistencies a year down the road if you yeah. if you campaign on one thing and and people pay attention more. I think people pay attention more than ever, at least in my life. Yeah, um, I guess maybe the '80s, but I I was a kid and didn't know what was going on. <laughs> which which by the way, the last time the Colorado legislation or legislature was in a veto proof and then one away from one on the other side, um, that was during the '80s. It was during Reagan. I think it was Governor Lamb, and it was the Republicans that controlled yeah. everything. Yeah, who was telling who was telling us about that? Uh, was Did, it Kevin Grantham that was telling somebody, us about Kevin, that Somebody, Kevin, I knew it. it. I knew it was sometime around then. Yeah. But um, 
And surprisingly, um, they did put through some stuff that um, may or may not been good for Colorado, but for the most part, they were they they weren't as extreme as you know the they're like oh we're going to turn into this Republican super state. Um, they did some good things, and it, it was it was restrained, and that's what I'm hoping with the Democrat side. Because again, we're a nonpartisan organization; we don't pick sides on this. All we care about the effects of what happens up there, down here. Well, and and I always worry. Um, I like the checks and balance system. Yes. I like there being some balance, some opposition. Yep. It's the Jedi in me, right? So I want to see that happen. I think that's how you're healthy. It. it it puts forward um, a healthy stakeholder process and yeah. all of those things you have to report back. And, and when that's gone, it's, n- I don't think it's ever healthy for a government um, like ours to do that. So I, I do get a little bit nervous, but thanks for making me feel better. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and look at it this way too. This could be an opportunity because again, the, the rural side, the rural life, I think they, they have been ignored by the democratic party and this could be a chance for the Democrats to actually show some unity and like come in and say, no, we, we do care about the issues that affect you and do some good work. Are they going to do that? We'll see. Um, but again, if they don't pay attention and I, I said it, um, it was up at Colorado cooperation. It was, you know, this quote unquote war on ag and the urban versus the rural. It's like, if you hurt the rural Colorado, like, Rural Colorado pays for Colorado. It's the ag industry. Ag and energy pays for Colorado. So you can't ostracize that. The more you impact that, the more you cut back on and and regulate agriculture in negative ways or impact their operations and you have farmers quit or are unable to farm, you know, bottom line, that hurts business for Colorado. That hurts all of us. And yet, so this was interesting for you during your race, Right, you got really you went out there, yeah, with your boots on, and you had the conversations. Yeah, Nucla, Dove Creek, Fort Garland, La Junta, um, Dinosaur. I mean, there were a few towns that that had more than seventy. You know, what was it um, Kelowna? Uh, there's twenty three people uh, yeah. in Kelowna, Colorado. Uh, I spent a little bit of time there, uh, but you know, so just getting out there. The number one takeaway, the biggest surprise I had was left, right, or center, just this concern about this urban-rural divide. Yes, the Democratic Party is a lot more urban and the Republican is, is a lot more rural, but I think this theme of the great state of Denver and you have eight urban counties and then you have 56 other counties kind of left to the wind with all due respect to our friends up in Denver – I would just say that from the far left to the center to the far right, I heard a lot of that conversation Mm -hmm. just about how much outside those eight counties people just feel left in the wind. Yeah. And um, I I think what I heard last was of the 100 state legislatures, I think there's 35 senators and about 65 Mm -hmm. representatives in Colorado. I think fewer than 10 of them actually have any rural roots in in their bones. Uh, and listen, I'm not saying I do. I grew up on any reservation, everything else like that. But I've never really lived in a farming, ranching community. My 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 great grandfather started a, a feed store. But when it comes to like truly authentically being from the land, ranching, ag, farming, oil and gas, it's fewer than 10 percent of the legislature. And I know it's 10 percent, more than 10 percent of the economy and 10 percent of the culture, and, and that 
that divide or that imbalance is, is not helpful. Yeah. So as far as our economy goes, ag is the number two. Yep. yep. In Colorado. What's number one? I always forget. Oil and gas. Oil and gas. Oh, Oil another gas. rural yeah. rural That's industry. Right. That's yeah. right. Oh, and so. the, oh the, my other joke is, you know, rightly, I mean, I, I was, even before I decided to run, I was not supportive of this reintroduction of the wolves. Um, and that came up a lot. And I just, I think one of the new rules will, will, that will not be employed this time is that basically if you live in a high rise in Denver, you should not be able to vote below Douglas County and west of Golden, Colorado. So I yeah, think that would be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Or just reintroduce the wolves in that high rise in Denver. Yeah, or put, let the wolves go down in the 16th Street Mall. Yeah. yeah. So let's finish it with this. You know, um, I always like a good story. There's going to be um, the the stories or the experience that you'll keep, like something that you heard, you learned along the way, somebody that you talked to, somebody that really – um, whatever happens, that's the one that you're going to remember that you're going to keep. You know, um, first of all, you know, I did the vast majority of these 24,000 miles with my 16 year old son who took a year off of high school. So that was obviously a really special occasion. We're trying to figure out how to kind of capture those moments for, for posterity, if you will. So just driving around and seeing him interact with, you know, the, the same ranchers and farmers and people struggling, I did, uh, and see his hold his own and, and be treated with respect was was really, really cool. That was one bucket. Um, you know, I remember meeting, um, I think it was an electrician in a local hotel in northwest Colorado that was making 16 or 17 bucks an hour. He was in his young 60s. And uh, two years before, he was making 61 bucks an hour out in the field in, in some type of energy field. And he wasn't so much blaming the Democrats or anyone else. But I think one of the reasons that the Democrats are in such trouble is when they don't realize when someone goes from making 115,000 bucks a year to 37,000 bucks a year, that's a huge monumental shift. And that gentleman doesn't need job training. He knows he's can be an electrician in a hotel. He can be an electrician on the field. And so I think one of the messages I'm trying to bring back, whether it's to Denver or to the district or in DC, when I've spent some time there is just, I think that's just a great example of, of someone who's just been left behind and not just left behind, but also just been disrespected by a, a good chunk of the Democratic Party. And there's a reason why the Democratic Party has gone from winning 50% of the rural counties to fewer than 10% of the rural counties since 1996. And so those are some of my takeaways. But, um, you know, the bakeries and parachute, uh, you know, getting the melons and uh, down in Fort Garland and, and running around. It's just a really, really beautiful district. It is, it, it's, it's not always fun to drive, you know, nine hours from point to point, but we live in the most beautiful district uh, in the country, and I stand by that no matter what. I had this conversation with this new gal from Hawaii, but, I, you know, from the mountains to the fields to the rolling hills to, you know, that, that Highway 9 from here up to Buena Vista, <laughs> Uh, going from Cortez into, into Ridgeway on Highway 145, I think it is. Mm-hmm. There's just some really, real, just whole Highway 50, 160, Crest Jones. There's just a lot of really great people. And I'll guarantee you the vast majority of people want the circus to stop. Yeah, and when you're traveling those areas too, isn't it great how much the people, even if they don't agree with you politically, appreciate you being yeah. there and bring, like, this is our life. Here, here have... This is what we grow here. Take some of this. This yeah. is what we do, and and just how willing they are to share and and help, and just grateful that you're there. Yeah, no, it was good. We built up a lot of good friendships. Well, you clearly fell in love with the CD three. Um, I hope that 
some of that love is uh, is also felt by um, by uh, Congressman Bobert um, for her for her district. Can I tell you the thing that I'm going to keep? Sure, go camping? ahead. So you and I had a real we ha- or we all had a really great discussion on energy, and it's something yep. I'm deeply concerned about. Um, but my the thing that I'm going to keep is you said something that changed my perspective dramatically, and it was, look, in Colorado we produce the cleanest energy. We ha- we have the the mechanism, and we're continuing to produce the cleanest there is. Why would we stop doing that and hand it off to somebody who would not? hold themselves to that same standard and what's where's the morals in that that was a that was a thing that just sort of it put me on a different trajectory with regard to this energy um, and what the battle that we're going to get into colorado does it better let colorado do it yep no without a doubt it's an important it's important industry as I said, you know, when we're not, when any president is not begging Saudi Arabia for help or Venezuela for help, we can have a different conversation about what we want the energy mix to look like. But as long as we need to go to foreign shores, especially some really, really bad foreign shores, I think we need to, you know, it, I believe in the science, but I also believe in the math. And not enough people believe in the math. They just believe in the science about what needs to happen. The climate crisis happening without a doubt. The sooner we move, the better. But it's just going to, we need a realistic check about how long it's going to take. All right. With that, I got to do the disclaimer. Action 22 does not support or endorse candidates, even after an election season. That's not quite finalized yet, um, but we offer any candidate running for office for, uh, at any level a chance to come on and speak about why they're running and the issues that matter to them. Um, the views and opinions expressed here on making action happen do not reflect the views and opinions of Action 22, the organization, and or its board of directors and board or members. And I think we will be back soon. We will be back soon. Uh, Chad Borthman, I know you're listening. I... Um, have not done a good job of checking in with you and that with the ag community. But we, I just wanted to tell you that we were so impressed with everything that you were doing with the um, the annual meeting that you had, who you had there, and the way that uh, whatever's going on, the ag community is persevering, and we're we're really proud to be associated with you on that. So that was a nice thing. Usually, I give you a hard time, but. Uh, um, I wanted to see if you actually were listening. So uh, we'll go see you all next time on Making Action Happen. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.